everyone, it's Lou Rosenfeld, and you are listening to the Rosenfeld Review Podcast. I am here with Cornelius Rasheru. Did I? Am I close? Yep. Yep. So, uh, like a lot of people, I know Cornelius uh, through the Canucks conference that he is uh, the founder and curator of, or co-curator, Canucks. Dot io if you want to check out the website c-a-n-u-x it's like the best name for a ux conference that happens in canada and that's no offense to flexible they're both like actually among the two best ux conferences on the planet i've been to like all of them at this point uh and i put Canucks and Flexible and UX Lisbon, uh, pretty much at the very top. I've, I've been trying very hard to get uh, Design Ops Summit and Enterprise UX uh, to approximate the great work that uh, folks like Cornelius do with their conferences. And Canucks is uh, held every year uh, in Ottawa, Canada. And uh, that's where Cornelius is based. He is also the founder and managing partner of Amplitude.com. That's his agency. That's A-M-P-L-I-2-D-E.com. And uh, before I talk uh, any more about you, Cornelius, let me uh, make sure people have heard your voice. Welcome. Well, thank you. And and just to clarify, uh, I didn't come up with the name Canucks. Uh, this honor rests with Jess McMullen and Gene Smith back in the day when they were at Enform and they organized the original Canucks workshop slash conference uh, back in Banff. Uh, between 2006 and 2009. So we started our own event in 2010, specifically because they left such a hole in the conference business, uh, or at least in the, on the Canadian conference landscape. And uh, yeah, that's that's how we got to the name. And then secondly, um, I think Design Ops and Enterprise UX are already in the upper echelon of conferences. I personally haven't been to either of them, and, and, and it's mostly because Enterprise UX was always relatively close to, to our ramp-up time for Canucks, but everybody I talk to uh, speaks super highly about both of those conferences, and, and I think you as a, as a curator, you as a, as a conference organizer, uh, you're... you're well into the stratosphere of, of conferences in, in well, our space. Thank you, but uh, we have a long way to go to catch up to folks like you. So you're, you're always setting the, the, the bar high and we'll, we'll just keep pursuing it. But, you know, I, we might come back to conference experience design a little later if we have time. But I really wanted to talk with you today um, mostly about some of the work that you're doing uh, in, as a consultant. Um, you, you know, like there's this interesting trend uh, to, to kind of pan back in the work we do further and further from the micro to the macro and to look at things more and more through the lens of systems. And, and I'm always thinking of the uh, Ames uh, Power of Ten film. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it, it's an amazing thing. You can watch it on YouTube, I'm sure. But we keep kind of going further and further back now, you, Cornelius, you've been working on something called ecosystem mapping, and you know, we were talking a little earlier about it, and, and you found that some of the more macro approaches that have become common in the toolkit for designers in the last few years aren't quite 
maybe macro enough, and, and those are things like journey mapping and experience mapping, you're talking about ecosystem mapping. And um, I don't know if we've re that means you've reached the, the broadest, furthest pan back thing possible. Maybe at some point we're going to get to universe mapping or something. But why don't we talk about where you've landed with ecosystem mapping? What are you actually mapping typically? And, and you know, how does that differ from things like journey and experience maps? Right. So um, the way the way I look at things, and, and let me first, um, I guess, define the 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 scale or the or the resolution or the zoom levels that that I consider when when I look at sort of designing things, and then I'm going to land onto ecosystem mapping and sort of explain to you a little bit about how I look at it. Um, so I kind of look at things as you know we have a feature level or artifact level. Right. So this is when, you know, a designer is asked to develop a certain feature for a either, a, a, you know, a digital service or a product or whatever. Right? So it's very contained. Uh, typically, you know, a designer would use uh, some basic IA, some wireframing, some quick prototyping, and then would do some usability testing, you know, of course, all baked in with research, right? So this is the typical, you know, junior designer coming in out of school with, with the basic knowledge that, they, that, you, that you get through sort of school training, and then you can actually be productive. Um, then you move up to the product level, right? So this is where more advanced IA concepts come in, but still the typical, you know, wireframing prototyping. This is where journey mapping comes in a little bit, right? This is where um, um, site mapping comes in. So this is where people can actually look at, at a higher, just a higher zoom level than the feature and the artifact level. Uh, then there's the service level, right? So I think of it as, you know, uh, a collection of services and, and uh, sorry, a collection of products or a collection of people that try to, to do something together and it's not a single product or single artifact that we're talking about. And then there's the ecosystem. So this is a collection of services that work together in order to provide um, typically at a business level uh, results. And it's funny enough that you mentioned the universe because I also think that there's a higher level of this called the universal level. And there are, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about mapping the ecosystem the way I look at it, mapping ecosystems at the scale of, of a Facebook or a Microsoft or, you know, any sort of major uh, both software and sort of hardware provider. And those companies that are ubiquitous, I think are above the ecosystem level. I, I think the ecosystem level that I'm at is still too zoomed in compared to the, the, the scale that they do business at. So I, I, I think there's a universal level above that that's, re, that's more uh, applicable to the like, humanity as a whole. Well, all right, so let's, let's stay with ecosystem mapping for a moment. Why don't you give yeah. an example or, or maybe you could tell the story about a, a, a project you worked on with a client where that's the level you're working at and what you're learning from that kind of process. I think of ecosystem mapping more or less as a collaborative process that helps companies visualize uh, and at the same time understand the services and the relationship between the services uh, within the space that they or, or the ecosystem that they operate in. 
So that is to me the base layer of the type of ecosystem mapping that I do. And th that's why I call it service ecosystem mapping. And I don't just call it like product ecosystem mapping or device ecosystem mapping or, or platform ecosystem mapping, because these are things that people have already sort of mentioned and referenced before, but um, I don't think they uh, are quite adept at solving the kind of problems that, for example, business executives are trying to solve when, when they're looking forward into, into you know, being able to anticipate business needs and anticipate direction for, for where they need to go. So I, I think of it as a strategic tool rather than uh, sort of hands-on design delivery type tool. Okay, so um, but why don't you walk us through a, a story or a case that might flesh it out? Sure. So um, in, in the workshop that, that I'm doing these days, um, I give the example of a client who's sort of a national company that uh, currently has storage units, right? So it's this company that has, that, that's, um, uh, that has buildings in all the major cities in Canada, or at least like on the, on the Eastern seaboard. Um, they are well located within fairly central areas and they are brand new buildings or relatively brand new buildings, uh, which means that, you know, they're sort of really well wired and they have good connectivity and they, you know, they've been built to, to very modern code. And um, I guess somebody referred me to them a while back and they've asked me, um, here's, here's the problem that we're facing. Uh, we are trying to move in from the, from the storage business into the retirement business. So we are thinking of, you know, these buildings that currently, you know, we have all these sort of individual rooms and they're sort of really nice and well lit and high, like high quality. Uh, right now we just have stuff in them, but, as as you know, I don't know I don't know about the U.S., but in Canada we're facing this this sort of old age boom in the next sort of five to fifteen years, and um, they were thinking, you know, well since we already have the buildings and these buildings are high quality and well placed, and you know we already have a lot of uh, I guess services around, you know, like we have moving trucks and we have people working, we have security and we have, we have, we have a already a subset of the things that we need, you know, we're thinking of understanding why, what it would take for us to, to get there. And they wanted to basically have, engage somebody who has a design background who can somehow visualize that for them, like what that would entail. And they came to me and of course, immediately I went, okay, let me, let me think about it. I'll, I'll do some research. Um, I'm gonna go back and, and, and try to sort of figure out what I can do for you. And, you know, apart from, you know, the, the whole doing research, which, you know, when, when I started going to, um, to retirement homes, nobody wanted to really tell me all the secrets of the retirement business. So, so I ended up like me and my, and my colleagues, we ended up pretending that we're actually putting our parents into, we're looking, looking to put our parents into a retirement home so they could actually tell us the goods. Um, but uh, we real, I realized really quickly that, you know, journey mapping, what, what the journey of a retiree in five to 10 or 15 years would look like is not like these guys can do that, can understand that today, but that doesn't really tell them, you know, what the delta is between their current state as a storage business and their future state as a, as a retirement home, right? So 
I had to understand, you know, that's where where sort of everything clicked for me. Where I said, you know, I I can look at it at the at the service level, the service that you're providing. I need to sort of look a little bit higher, and 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 I started sort of devising my method, and. Um, the method itself contains of trying to map out this this environment of you know where a, a retirement home would look would be at in five to fifteen years, and then uh, identifying the pieces that are currently in the ecosystem uh, as a current state, and then highlighting the things that are not there and should be taken care of in order for them to to become a viable provider of, of retirement services. And we are talking like there, there's a lot of complexity, right? We're talking about legislation. We're talking about you know home care. We're talking about medical care. We're talking about transportation. We're talking about quality of life. Right? So there's all these things that need to be mapped out in a in a coherent way. Probably some trends as well, I imagine. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Aging and, and I imagine there's some economic trends that you have to fold in. As well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of business reading uh or, or sort of economic type reading that I've done. Uh mostly I, I approached it from a competitive analysis perspective, but um in, in the end, it became like one of the one of the lenses that we apply to the ecosystem as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to come back to to your question, how do I map the ecosystem? Uh, my method is is a fairly simple six. It's a six step process uh, that starts with you know user research and competitive research and and sort of environmental research of so some of the things that that you just alluded to. Um, then there's a second step which deals with a quick visualization of a system. So I call these rich pictures. Uh, in, in, in the systems thinking world, rich pictures are, are sort of uh, the equivalent of our sketch notes in the conference organizing world world if if you want to mm-hmm. sort of make a parallel uh so a, a way to sort of quickly visualize a starting point for for the scale and the boundaries of the system uh then uh similar to sort of design thinking and sort of the, the typical design process is under uh, identifying uh the primary and secondary actors that are involved so typically when 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 i map an ecosystem i do it at least from from the perspective of a primary external actor and then from the purpose of the primary like from the perspective of the primary internal actor as well because those uh, ecos- they they reveal different ecosystem facets when when looking at it that way um, so i call that sort of the research and definition phase those first three steps and then there's a second um, second phase that i call synthesis and visual exploration which deals with um, Understanding what the what the primary service clusters that are provided by the ecosystem are, and then expanding and diagramming those into secondary, tertiary, and so on services, and the last but not least is applying and calibrating lenses for that ecosystem. So uh, we've talked about legislation. Legislation is a lens that you can apply to a service ecosystem in order to to gain insight. Uh, if you care about the products that are in, in the ecosystem, you can apply a product lens. If you care about the financials of the ecosystem, you can apply a financial lens. If you care about touch points, if you care about actors, if you care about channels, you name it, right? Risks, pain points. These are things that you overlay on top of that sort of service, like ecosystem service or service ecosystem base uh, that give you um, a way to... Uh, you know, move even back and forward in time, right? So time is a lens. Well, that actually was going to be my 
my main question. Uh, I understand a lot of the spatial lenses that uh, and, and that, that maps have. You know, the layering approach makes a lot of sense to handle those different lenses, and, and that's a pretty common approach. But time, you know, it just comes up in everything, not just in the design world, but in, in almost any problem-solving space where I just feel like we're generally really ill-prepared or ill-equipped to to really understand the role that time plays in anything we create or anything we think through. And I'm wondering if there's any kind of secret sauce in the way you've uh, addressed the, the, the time lens or just time as a, a factor in understanding ecosystems. Um, for me, time is typically correlated to a shift. So most, most, in most cases, in the case of this client, for example, they wanted to shift from a business model to a different business model, right? So time to time for this particular uh, for this particular mapping exercise uh, was affected by not just you know the business that they're in, but you know the legislation, how that's going to evolve, the number of people looking for for um, retirement services today versus five to ten years from now, right? So, so time is 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 more or less, you know, you know, when you map something, you still you you can only do a snapshot, right? So you have to sort of anchor that time lens almost to kind of say, you know, what we we're looking at current state, which is again, a very common approach, like you mentioned, right? And looking at a future state, but that future state, uh, you still need to look at it, you, you still need to equalize lenses from the from the current state to that to the sort of to that future state in order to understand what that delta is and to allow you to, or to allow your client in this case to, to make the right decision. And this is where the financial lens is quite interesting um, because they can map out, you know, what part, like in our business, right, like in the business that, they, that they're working on, which is uh, storage, right, where, where, do they, where do they make their money and how much money do they make and how much do they make per, you know, I guess client or per account versus how that would, would flash out when they have a retirement home in place. Right, and what is the average, and is it worth it? And you you have to sort of subtract the extra costs related to equipment and people, and you know, so it's it's a fairly complex. Like again, in most cases, ecosystem mapping is not employed in a typical you know design solve a design problem for me. It's typically something that uh, the business. Uh, can use and is very valuable to, to a business level and business leadership level, much more than it is valuable at the service level or the product level or the artifact level. So I tell, I tell designers all the time, you know, you're not gonna use ecosystem mapping as part of your discovery every single project that you're gonna work on. You're gonna use this maybe a couple of times a year, depending on how big the problem that you're trying to solve is. Uh, but this is something that, is specifically related to strategy projects and especially business strategy projects. Well, we always say that strategy should be, you know, an anchor or foundation for a lot of the work we we do as designers. And it sounds like that's how you position this. This is a a foundational piece of knowledge, whether you know, as a map or, or whatever. It is something upon which other 
systems can can be designed and uh, that, that those other systems need to kind of you know kind of connect back to the sort of maybe slower moving strategy system that you're you're creating that you're mapping the ecosystem for and and this gets into something that oh gosh you know i apologize to listeners because it comes up a lot on these podcasts but i keep coming back to Stuart brand's pace layering model right sounds like you're familiar with a lot of us are there's you know that 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 whole those layers if you're not familiar folks uh you can you can uh certainly google Stuart brand pace layering the the idea of there being sort of uh different layers in any kind of system or any kind of universe that uh, move at different cadences. So uh, in his model, uh, his original model, the laws of physics are the sort of inner layer, the inner core, and they don't really change. If they do, we, we would never be aware of that, that change it would take place over such a long period of time. Whereas at the other end of the spectrum, the most uh, dynamic layer would be something like fashion, which practically changes every day. Uh, and then variations in between. And I, I feel like you know, the beauty of that model is its simplicity, but it doesn't really communicate change. Uh, 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 so, like those different layers have their different cadences, but you can't really see the cadences side by side. And it seems like people like you are getting at different sort of maps that can at least be looked at side by side. So maybe the business person is working at sort of this more stable layer. Uh, the designer may be working at a less stable layer, uh, more dynamic, and they have their different cadences. And I don't know, I probably not making any sense at this point, but give me a break. It's Friday at 515. <laughs> um, you know, uh, with that, um, we're really trying to have a, a very conceptual conversation about time and space, with, but, but doing it with audio. That's right. <laughs> this is nice move, Lou. So um, what I think we should do is wrap. Um, we'll, we'll have to save our conversation about a uh, conference experience for another time. But is there anything that you've published or can, can point us to that can actually help us see what you're talking about? I'm, I'm actually in the process of... of you know, I'm I'm, driving, I'm close to to finishing a, a medium post that sort of walks through the methodology because um, there's a lot of people who've tagged me on LinkedIn or you know just in person wanting to go for coffee and stuff, um, and they for whatever reason they can't they're not anywhere close geographically to where I offered the workshop, so they wanted to sort of like read more about the methodology. So uh, I've given to many people the, the slides to the workshop, but I'm going to write sort of a more comprehensive medium post that sort of takes takes it through. So uh, I don't know, I'm hoping early in the new year, at some like January timeframe, it'll be ready. Um, and then people will probably be able to see it in their Twitter and medium hopefully it will show up well you're 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 very uh humble and self-deprecating so you'll probably ignore my request here but when it's published i would love to tweet it out from rosenfeld media's uh, twitter account uh, as well as a link to the podcast so let me know and i'll you know i'll help get the word out but in the meantime if people want to uh, you know knowing that cornelius will probably uh forget or ignore my request here because he's so damn, damn humble. Uh, 
What's your Twitter uh, handle? It's Cornelius, right? It's Cornelius. So it's Cornelius, but substitute the S with an X. And uh, I assume uh, that's then what people can use to find you in Medium, because Medium is built on Twitter. That's right. And uh, I, I imagine you'll also at least uh, mention it on your company website, which is Amplitude, A-M-P-L-I-2, D-E.com. Um, Cornelius, thank you so much. Uh, uh, I want to also, while I'm throwing URLs out there, remind you that uh, Cornelius is, uh, puts on the uh, fantastic Canucks conference uh, each year in Ottawa. That's Canucks, C-A-N-U-X dot I-O. Um, Cornelius, uh, do you want to leave us with anything, a piece of information or, or tag someone that uh, maybe I should interview for my next podcast? Um, I, I was just thinking as 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 you were talking, and um, there's there's a lady named Jennifer Fraser. I'm actually not sure if you're familiar with her. She's the director of design at uh, Macadamian, um, which is uh, a UX consultancy. is pretty well known here in the states. Um, and she she and I had coffee quite a bit over the last little while, um, talking about mapping ecosystems because she has she has mapped a lot of ecosystems from a sort of an internal company perspective so the internal ecosystem of a company so i think she has a really interesting lens of looking at an ecosystem from from in from within rather than my view which is fairly expansive and looking out uh, so she could be an an interesting sort of just a position on on what i talked about or i will learn about her pardon how, how might we learn about her? Is there a URL that she... Uh, I, she I mean, uh, macadamian.com uh, is the name of her company, and then she's, I'm, I'm sure she's on the site, but if, if not, uh, she's their director of design. Uh, and then also on Twitter, um, uh, J.L. Fraser. So uh, J-L-F-R-A-S-E-R. Excellent. And... Uh, Thank you for calling uh, Jennifer Jennifer Frazier out, right? Uh, no, no problem. I, I I think she has some interesting perspectives, and she's a native English speaker, so like, you know. Well, I'm going to give you a non-native English speaker. I'm going to tag someone because you've inspired me. Uh, we had a Elena Iguina. Yes, I know Elena very well. Because everyone in Canada who's involved with the UX knows everyone, especially if they have a, a, a Slavic background. Well, you're not you're not you don't have a Slavic background, but East European background. Uh, right. Uh, she's, uh, I believe, Russian originally, but she's based in Toronto. And uh, No, she's based in Ottawa. Oh, she's in Ottawa. That's right. And she's yes. a Shopify. Right. She's a Shopify, yes. And uh, she spoke at Design Ops, uh, the Design Ops Summit last month, and has some really interesting thoughts uh, that she covered in her presentation about the role of uh, biology in systems, which might kind of... Uh, Twin nicely with your thinking about ecosystems. Yes, and I've uh, I've spoken to Elena about this. She she has some systems thinking related to biology that I've actually gotten inspired from. Uh, I know she's writing. I think she's writing a book about that these days. Um, and the funny part is that we've actually had our after party for Canucks uh, a couple of years in the past at the, at the bar that's owned by Elena's father. So oh. it's, it's a kind of interesting connection that you've made here. All about connections. Well, if anyone wants to learn a little bit about Elena, A-L-E-N-A, 
Uh, it's actually one of those E's with an umlaut over it. Um, and last name is I-O-U-G-U-I-N-A. And Shopify, um, I don't have a website or a... a it's shopify.com. And uh, she, um, we just published the videos of the Design Ops presentations uh, yesterday. And if you go to YouTube and search for her name or just go to designopsummit.com slash... Uh, uh, the site, you'll go to the program page and you'll see her deck and the notes, for, uh, uh, the, sh the sketch notes and the trip notes and now the video of her presentation are all there for you to enjoy as well as all the other speakers from the Design Ops Summit. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Cornelius, it's great to have you on the show. It's, it's an absolute pleasure as usual. Thank you.